Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in day num we are in class number 34. Specifically, we've been studying the subject of Emunah. As we know, that without Emunah, it is impossible to have full Simha. Part of Emunah, a branch of Emunah, is going through life, understanding events, understanding ourselves, through the lens of Emunah. Emunah is not only, I believe in Hashem. Emunah is not only, I know He is involved. Emunah is seeing everything through a different lens. When you see things with the lens of Emunah, things that you think look like A is actually B. And the way to react to B is actually this way, not what you thought. The biggest tragedies could be the biggest beautiful things that ever happened to you. Emunah changes your way of looking at what happens in life. I'd like to spend today discussing one aspect of how emunah, when viewed, when something is viewed through emunah, it could literally transform your life. We're going to go to the parasha of the Meraglim. We all know the story of the Meraglim. Am Yisrael is ready to go to Eretz Yisrael. They are about to actually enter. When they decide they're going to send 12 men to see the land, to get back a report about this land they're going to inhabit. As you all know, this was a very difficult mission, much more difficult than you could imagine. It seems like a pretty easy thing. You go, come back with the report, get them excited, and we'll move forward. But this was a very difficult mission, and you could see already from Moshe Rabenu his preparation when he changed Yehoshua's name, praying for him that he should be safe from any bad damaging uh, advice that he gets from the other Miraglim, you could already understand that there is something here that was very difficult. Do not think this was an easy mission. One of the difficulties that the Miraglim had was being that they were the leaders of the Jewish people at the time in the desert. Everything was nice and small within hand's reach. Everybody is under control. Everyone comes to them for questions. Everyone consults with them with projects, whatever was going on in the desert. They were leading a very large amount of people right next to them. Going to the land of Israel is a whole new life. Where first of all, their leadership is in jeopardy. Now they're going to go to a very big land. People are going to be living in very far places. Their control of the people is going to be much more difficult. 
They may choose new mayors and new governors and new, whatever it might be, new rabbis. So this was one of the challenges that the Miraglim had, that going to this land might be the end of their job. It's like a person who's a great salesman and the boss tells him to go train another great salesman under him, knowing that if the guy is really good, then he probably lost his job. So you're training the end of your job. So bottom line is, it was a difficult mission. The only two that made it was Yehoshua Binun and Kaleb ben Yefuneh. They were the only ones that came back with a positive report. When Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, after Moshe Rabbeinu pleads that the Jewish people should be forgiven, Hashem tells him, Salahti kidbarecha, which means, I forgave them, like your request. But then he says, bottom line, they did mess up. That's the Miraglim and the Jewish people for listening to them because they refused to go. Because of that, he said, they will not go into the promised land until they all die out in the desert. 40 years later, then we're going to Eretz Yisrael. He says, except Zulati, he says, excuse me, he says, Ve'avdi Kalev, Avdi Kalev means my servant Kalev, Aikev, because Hayeta Ruach Aheret Imo, because there was another spirit with him, Vaimale Aharai, he did the right thing. He did the right thing despite that he had a big challenge. He will go into Eretz Israel, despite that everybody else is not going. Kalev, Avdi Kalev, my servant Kalev, he's going. The word Avdi, you should know, when Hashem calls somebody Avdi, is very rare. The word Avdi is a word of love, is a word of appreciation. Hashem says, you're Avdi. You're my Eved. Who got the word Avdi in the Torah? Moshe Rabbeinu. Lochen Moshe Avdi. Who else got the word Avdi? Only one other. Besides Kaleb. Ba'avur Avraham Avdi. Three people in the Torah that were called Avdi. My Eved, Hashem says to them, not we say about them, we a lot of times call people all different kinds of names. We say, he's a tzaddik, he's an Eved Hashem. Here God himself says, Avdi. Three people. Abraham, Moshe, Kalev. Beautiful. What did Kalev do to earn such, you know, if he asked, what did Abraham do? It's obvious. What did Moshe do? It's obvious. What did Kalev do to earn such a title? 
And of course we say, look what he did. Instead of being swayed by the entire nation and all of his friends, he stood up and did the right thing. That's very hard. You know how difficult it is to do the right thing when everybody else is not. It's not so easy to do that. Caleb did that. That's a tremendous feat that he did. But I'm sure many of you listening already have a big question in your mind. This question that I'm sure you're asking right now is a question asked by many of the Mefarshim. Seems to be something off here. Because there was another person that also did the right thing. And he too is going to Eretz Israel. He's actually the next leader of the Jewish people. Yehoshua Binun. Why is he not mentioned? Why does he say, Ve'avdi Kalev? What about Avdi Yehoshua? Why didn't Yehoshua make it into the high ranks of the word Avdi? He did exactly what Kalev did. Could you imagine how Yehoshua would have felt right now? You and Kalev together go and you make the most amazing decision. You rise above the rest. And Hashem says, Ve'avdi Kalev. You ever been in school where your friend got noticed and you didn't? Hurt you. You both got great marks. You both did a great job. And when they got up to speaking, they said, and Joe, my great student, hello, what about Abraham? What happened to him? You know how hurt you would feel? How hurt would Yehoshua be right now when he hears Ve'avdi Kalev? What happened to me? I'm sure you were thinking of that question. The Ora Hayim asked this question. Many Mefarshim asked this question. The Ora Hayim says something that I think it's a beautiful explanation, but more than that, it really changes a lot of things in the way we think. Says the Ora Hayim, Yehoshua bin Nun, he had the same struggle as Caleb, clear. But Yehoshua bin Nun had help. He had assistance. He had Moshe Rabbeinu praying for him. And he knew it. He even changed his name. Instead of Hoshea, he called him Yehoshua. I'm praying for you. I'm changing your name as a reminder of that prayer. Yehoshua Binun was not as, we'll call it challenged as the rest of the Miraglim, because he would be the next leader. He's the next president of Am Yisrael. So going to the promised land isn't really going to make much of a difference to him. He's under Moshe now. He'll be a great leader then. He's fine. Says the Ora Haim, Kalev was at a disadvantage. Here he is knowing he's in a struggle. He knew he had to fight. But he didn't have what Yoshua, his friend, had. 
There were two Meraglim that really wanted to do the right thing. Except that one of them was at a disadvantage. One of them didn't know how he would do it. Yehoshua, yeah, he had Moshe praying for him. If Moshe is praying for you, you're doing good, you're doing well. You have less to worry about. Kalev found himself struggling by himself. We know that Kalev, when he went to Eretz Israel with the Miraglim, he told them, I have to go. He left and went to Me'arata Machpelah to pray. He went to Kibrot Sadikim to help him. You see a man struggling. He knew the right thing to do, but he also knew that it wasn't so easy to do the right thing. How many times you felt like that in life? You know the right thing, but you can't do it. It's just so hard. So he goes to Kibrot Sadikim to get help, to do the right thing. Says the Orahayim, since Kalev struggled, even though he got to the same place as Yeshua, but because he was at a disadvantage, and he made it, he elevated himself. He's called Avdi. Yeshua is wonderful, is great. But because for him it wasn't the struggle, he didn't get that same title. How many of us can appreciate the position of Kalev? A lot more than even you might imagine. How many times in life are we in Kalev's position? I'll give you many examples. You have a young man in school a young lady. And they were not blessed with great IQ. It's hard for them to learn. They see the other boys in the shiur. They go to the class. The rabbi is giving a class. And the other boys are already arguing. What do you mean? That's not what it says. What about this? What about that? What about that question? And here's this young man sitting there. He doesn't even understand what was being said to begin with. Struggling. He's at a disadvantage. Hashem didn't give him the same ability as the other person. There are people who want to give charity, but they are at a disadvantage because they don't have There's a person who grew up in a home that had no religion. And all of a sudden, they start to get inspired. But guess what? They're at a disadvantage because they never learned anything. They never kept Shabbat. They didn't know anything. And they say to themselves, well, how am I supposed to do this? I mean, my neighbor... Their father, their grandfather, they had a beautiful Shabbat, they had a beautiful home, they had a... Me? I didn't grow up like that. There are people who went to public school when they were younger. They didn't learn anything. They look at other people and say, well, well, how am I supposed to learn? I never got the education. I never had that rabbi.
we have many disadvantages in life where we feel that we are not given the same opportunity as somebody else to succeed. What usually happens to us when we are faced with such situations? So I'm going to tell you something that happens to all of us. I bet if I would ask every person in this room, I'm not going to ask you, but I know you would answer all the same. I would ask you, tell me, are you a good person? I think you would all say, yes. Now there might be some very humble people here that try to be extra humble and say no. But deep inside you all know that you would say, yeah, of course. When you look in the mirror, you say, yeah, I'm a good person. Are you a good Jew? The people in this room would say, yes, I am. And if I would ask you, what makes you a good Jew? So what do you mean? Right now, what am I doing? I'm going to a class. What does that mean? Why would a bad Jew go to class? I send my kids to yeshiva. I mean, I keep Shabbat. You would give me probably a hundred examples of why you're a good person or you're a good Jew. Now, if I would ask you, but wait, um, I have a question for you. Yesterday, I saw you talking like some really nasty Lashorana about somebody. I, I saw you. How would you answer me? You, wait, you just told me you're a good person. You're a good Jew. Why are you speaking Lashonara? I don't understand. You just ripped that person to somebody else behind their back. I saw it. How could it be? Aren't you a good person? You'll probably answer. I know it's, I know, I know. It's very hard for me. My mouth, not one of my strengths. I have other strengths. My mouth is not one of them. And I'll ask somebody else, but wait, I want to ask you a question. How come you don't pray? Or how come you don't pray in shul in the morning? Ask a man, how come you don't get up early to pray in shul? I mean, you're a good Jew, aren't you? Why don't you go? I know, it's not my strength. Waking up early, not my strength. You know, there are people who can't sleep. If you go to shul early in three, four in the morning, you'll see people. They're up early, they have no problem waking up at all. But for me, waking up is, oh, it's very hard. But I'm very good at charity. I'm very good at charity. I write checks, you have no idea. Anybody comes to me, I write a check. Wake up in the morning to go to show. Not my, I, I can't do it. Very hard for me. Yes, the other guy, you're a good Jew. How come you don't write any charity? Like, why don't you write, give people money? You have money, give checks. It's very hard. I know this thing is very hard for me. I mean, I wake up early in the morning. I'm in shul early. I'm in learning. Writing a check. 
It's very hard for me. It's very hard for me. I'm very tight with my money. I don't know what to do. Writing a check is like taking a nail off my, my hand. Can't do it. But I'm good at everything else. This one is not so easy for me. And if I would ask somebody, you know, you're very, you get very angry. You're always angry. What are you always getting angry for? I see you blowing up at your wife. I see you blowing up at your kids. You're going crazy. What are you always angry for? So listen, I want to tell you. I give charity like nobody gives. I'm in shul every day. I take care of people. But anger is very hard for me. I don't know what to tell you. It's very hard. I'm this hot-headed person. I can't control my anger. Every person in this room who answered the question, I said, of course I'm a good Jew. Of course I'm a good person. I bet there are things in your life that you're not so good at. Whether it's your tefillah, it's your Lashon Hara, maybe it's your Shabbat, maybe it's your Kashrut, maybe it's your dress code, maybe it's your anger, maybe it's your arrogance, maybe it's your charity or lack of. There are definitely things in your life that you're not so good at. And you'll have good reasons why you're not good at them. Either because of your situation growing up, you grew up in a crazy house, Unfortunately, there are people who grew up in crazy homes. The father and mother were not normal. It wasn't an operational home. And that's how you grew up. So if you ask me, how come my home is not so good? So what should I do? You know where I grew up? I was abused. I was yelled at. I was this. Everything that we don't do well we probably have a very good reason why we don't do it. Either because it's the way Hashem made us, or it's where He put us, or many other different possibilities of why we feel at a disadvantage. So yes, I'm good at this. Hey, one guy is good at tefillah, at this, at this, at that. Not so good. Another guy is. And each guy will look at himself and say, I'm very good. But what about that? You know, in business, they have something called a write-off. A write-off basically means you have inventory. Usually if you have inventory, that's worth money. So you count that as part of your inventory. So if you have $10 million in inventory, that's part of your wealth. But then at some point you realize that two million dollars of that 10 million is never selling. It's never going to sell. No one's buying it for, for a penny. They're not buying it. So at some point, you know what you do? You write it off. It's gone. It's not here. It's never gonna make it. We have in our own lives, write-offs. There are things right now in your life that you know you don't do well. Some people are great at helping their parents and some people are terrible at it. Some people are great at opening their home and some people are terrible at it. Some people are very calm and some people are not. Some people are very positive and some people are very negative. Each person here has not just one, probably a few things that you know 
you struggle with. And your friend probably doesn't struggle with the same thing, but you know it's easy for them. They grew up like that. Or that's the way Hashem made them. They're just calm people. I'm not like that. They're smarter than me. That's why they could learn. I can't learn. It's easy for them to write a check, not for me. And on and on and on. Everybody in this room has their items where they feel they are at a disadvantage. And because of their disadvantage, they don't perform. And today we're learning something very, very interesting and very important. Believe me, we all need this. Because there's one thing we all need in life. One thing. If we have it, we'll never, ever fail. We need something called Siata Dishmaya. Siata Dishmaya means, basically, that Hashem becomes your partner. You get married, you need Siata Dishmaya. If Hashem is your partner in the marriage, you do great. You go into a business, Siata Dishmaya. You have children. Siata Dishmaya, by the way, does not mean life will be easy. I'm not saying that. Life's not meant to be easy. But you'll see Beracha. Siata Dishmaya is when Hashem says, Here's my hand, I'm in with you. I'm with you in your home, I'm with you with your children, I'm with you in your business. You have a project that you started, Siata Dishmaya. You see it, by the way. There are certain situations where you just see Siata, it just goes. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world. And you don't have to be the most talented. If Hashem is with you, if you have Siata Dishmaya, you can't fail. You know who taught us that lesson? God Himself, when He chose the greatest leader, the greatest man that ever lived to lead the Jewish people, His name was Moshe Rabbeinu. He tells Moshe, I want you to go take the people out of Mitzrayim. You're the leader. Says Moshe to God, what do you mean me? I don't know how to speak. Moshe Rabbeinu had a speech impediment. If he spoke right now here, you couldn't understand him. He had a lisp. He says, Borei Olam, I can't be a leader. I can't even talk. Now if you are the creator of the world, and the person that you're appointing is not able to talk, and he's telling you such, what would you do? Simple. Say, listen, I'm the creator of the world. Close your eyes. Abracadabra. Okay, start talking. Now you could talk. Hashem didn't do that. Hashem did not do that. You know what he told him? Go the way you are. You know how? But how am I going to succeed? How is Paral going to listen to me? When they send a diplomat to another country to talk to the leaders, they send someone who is eloquent in their words. How am I talking to Paro? What does that mean? Hashem tells him, Ki ani eimach. Because I'm with you. That's how. If I'm with you, it doesn't matter how you talk. It doesn't matter where you're from. 
It doesn't matter how talented you are or lack of. If Hashem is with you, if you have siata dishmaya, you will be matzliah. And ultimately, that's all we should want in life is siata dishmaya. In order to get siata dishmaya, you got to try. You got to work hard. You can't just sit back and say, Hashem, help me. You got to help yourself first. But you can help yourself all you want. If Hashem is not putting your hand with you, it's not happening. You need siyata dishmaya. So how does a person get siyata dishmaya? The avdi kalev is this close relationship that Hashem says, I have now with kalev, my evid. There's no one closer to the melech than his evid. Who's the closest to the king? The guy who's with him all day, his Evan. Hashem says, you know my Evan, my Evan, Kalev? How did Kalev become so close to the creator of the world? Or better yet, how did the creator of the world get close to him? How did that happen? The answer is, and the Torah is teaching us, not about Kalev, but about us. Siata Dishmaya. Look at your disadvantage. Look at the things that you struggle with because you were put at that disadvantage. And instead of writing them off like we usually do, you go to a guy and say, listen, why don't you give more charity? It's not my thing. It's not my thing. I do a lot of other things good. Not my thing. Not because I don't have. It's not my thing. Tefillah is not my thing. Learning Torah, not my thing. I give a lot of charity. Learning is not my thing. It's not my thing. I'm too old. I never learned. I never had a father. I never had this. It's not my thing. Any item that you say is not my thing, guess what? That's your thing. I'm going to say it again. Anything in your life that you write off because you have a good reason. Because you're at a disadvantage. And you say, it's not my thing. It's not, it's not my strength, not my area. Anger is not, it's not my thing. I, I get angry, I'm a hothead, that's it. It's not my thing. I'm good at other things. When they come to speak at my arayat, they're not going to talk about my calmness. That's not my thing. You know, it's amazing, you go to arayat sometimes. Each one talks about something else. For this guy, oh, he was very charitable. For this guy, he did great. He was in shul every morning. That guy, he helped his children. That guy. So they usually pick the things that you're good at. That's what we do in this world. But in Shemaim, it's not like that. In fact, the Gaom Vilna says an unbelievable thing. The grass says, how does a person know what his unique mission in life is? You know, all of us have a similar mission. We have to pray, we have to give charity, we have to do chesed, things that are equal to all of us. But then each person has their own unique olam, their own world, just them, and they need to rise in their world. And if you rise in that world, then you're up there. How do you know what your mission is? What's my mission? What's your mission? 
How do I know what that is? Again, we all got to pray. We all have to keep Shabbat. We all have to eat kosher. Okay. But what's your unique mission? Says the guy, your unique mission are the things that you struggle with the most. What do you struggle with? Are you very lazy? Are you very lazy? Yeah, no? Are you very lazy? If you're very lazy, that's your mission. Are you very cheap? That's your mission. You have a hard time with clothing? That's your mission. You have a hard time with cash? Your mission. Anything you struggle with, that's your mission. It's not by accident that Hashem made you struggle in that area. When you live in a world of accident with no emunah, you just look at yourself as a hazi case. Okay, listen, it's not my thing. No, no, no. When you live with emunah, then you realize there's a map. You're reading the map. How do I read the map? Torah is telling you. When you see something that you struggle with, you know, some people, they struggle, they're very good with many relationships. But when it comes to their in-laws, struggle. They struggle with this person and their family. I'm usually very good. I'm very good with people. I'm always getting along with everybody. Just this person, I just can't. Guess what? That's your mission. The person that you can't, that's your mission. Says the Gra. How do you know your mission? Look at any area where you feel a disadvantage, where it's difficult for you, where you're struggling. That's your mission. So it's exactly opposite of what we think. Our whole life, we were thinking, we're doing great. Why are we doing great? Because look at A, B, C, D, E. How many things should I list for you that I'm doing good in my life? Am I doing good or no? Yes, you're doing good. So did I do my mission? We, th- we thought till now. Yeah, okay. The other things, those are my weaknesses, my write-offs. And today we learn that it's not like that. When you have a disadvantage, that's your map. You repair that relationship. Yes, the hard one. Don't say, I'm usually good with people. That's not your challenge. Your challenge is not people. Your challenge is that one. Don't say, I learn Torah. I learn. Now your challenge is kibud avaim, and your parents don't make it easy for you either. Some parents don't make it so easy. That's your challenge. Don't say, I do this, but. You could be proud of what you do, by the way. Don't get me wrong. You should be proud of what you do well. You need to be proud of what you do well. But no write-offs. You're writing off your siyata dishmaya. What are you writing off? You're writing off the very part that's bringing Hashem into your life. Avdi Kalev is the example in the Torah of a person who had all the excuses in the book to do the wrong thing. 
Kalev was a big tzaddik. He was a great man. He did so many great things in his life. And here he was on a very difficult mission at a very big disadvantage. He had all the excuses to just go with the flow, follow the rest of the crowd. But he rose above the challenge, his challenge. And he became Avdi. In fact, if you look in the Torah, when we speak about Yehoshua and Kalev, usually Yehoshua is mentioned first. The Torah says, Yehoshua binun, ve'kalev ben Yefuneh. When it lists them as part of the group, it mentions Yehoshua and then Kalev. A number of times it says that. Like it says, Yehoshua binun, ve'kalev ben Yefuneh. Hayu mina anashim ahem. They were from those people. Again, Yehoshua, then Kalev. For good reason. Yehoshua is the servant of Moshe. He should go first. But when Hashem talks, He says, besides Ve'avdi Kalev that we already learned, Hashem Himself says, Ki im Kalev ben Yefuneh, Vihoshua binun. When Hashem talks, maybe down here, we would say Yehoshua and Kalev. When Hashem talks, He says Kalev and Yehoshua. Because people who are in their mind supposed to be second, second rate, in Hashem's eyes, they're the ones that's going first. They just need to rise to their challenge. Don't discount, don't write off. Of course, it's not easy. Because usually the things that are difficult for us are the things that we have the hardest time to change. Because we've been doing it the same way for so long. It's part of our nature. That's just how we think. And there are some of us here that everything we do has to do with somebody else's opinion. We can never think for ourselves. Hardly ever. Because everything is about Status, kavod, who notices me? Who talks about me? We live in this world, this island that doesn't exist. And in this island, everything we do has to fit with that island. It's a horrible life. But it's our weakness. Some people are by nature, they don't care that much about other people's thoughts. They don't care. They do their own thing. But some people have a very hard time with it. It's very hard for them. If people aren't loving everything they're doing. It's a challenge. Now to change that, it's very hard. I've been living like this for 30 years, for 40 years, 50 years. To change that mindset, to change the way I respect the Shabbat. It's very hard for me. To cha- now I'm going to start going to shul in the mornings? Are you kidding me? 50 years I didn't do that. Now I'm going to go. For some people it's nothing. It's easy. For me, how? To change? I'm going to start learning? You sit on a table with 30 guys, guys 30 years younger than you and they're 
30 times better than you? You know how embarrassing that is? You sit in a class and these guys are asking, this guy's answering, and you're sitting there, you can't even find the spot where they're up to. Now I'm going to start? Now I'm going to start dressing more sanua? Now, after all these years? After all that I have experienced? Usually, the things that we have a disadvantage with are things that we've been doing for so long. And to make that change is very difficult. Actually, changing is one of the most difficult things in life. To change something that you do is so hard. One of the reasons is because you have to admit that what you've done till now wasn't really so good. If I now keep Shabbat, and I didn't before, so I'm basically saying I was wrong for 50 years. If I now start opening a book and start learning, that means for 40 years I was wrong. That's not so easy to do. To get up and make a statement in public that I've been wrong for 50 years, I've been wrong for 40 years. What you saw yesterday, yesterday was wrong. Change is very difficult because it's an admission of an error. Not just an error of a slip word, an error of a life of 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Change is scary. It's scary. It's fear of the unknown. I don't know how to live this way. Meaning, I know who I am, I know what, I cha- what my challenges are. Now I'm going to change. I don't know that person that's going to be me. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know who's going to look at me. I don't know who's going to say what to me. I-, I don't know. So hard. So A, I'm going into a, this new zone that I don't even know what's going to happen there. Fear is scary. We all like it comfortable. We like it predictable. We go to our living room. We know the couch that we like. We know the chair that we like. We know what's going to happen. When it's predictable, it's comfortable. It's easy. All of a sudden, change something about yourself or the way you do something. And now you're going into a new zone. It's not comfortable. Before the days of GPS, when a person used to travel out of town. I remember he used to travel out of town. There were no GPS. So you had to get somewhere. It was the most uncomfortable feeling driving a car and you have no idea where you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. You're trying to read the map. You're trying to figure things out. You feel lost because you're not at home. When you're at home, you basically know where you are. You know where you're going. You know what's around you. It's so hard to be not at home. And when you're changing something about yourself, you're really going to a place that's not your home. So it's scary. And then on top of it, besides being scary, it's also admitting that you were wrong before. It's a very difficult, difficult feat for a person to accomplish. That's why, by the way, when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu about the mitzvah of teshuvah, he tells him, this mitzvah, 
It's not so removed from you. This mitzvah is not so far. It's not, it's not in heaven, this mitzvah. It's not across the oceans. Never in the Torah did we have an introduction to a mitzvah like this. Hashem never said by Shabbat, you know, this mitzvah of Shabbat, it's not so far, it's not so hard, you could do it. Never in the whole Torah, not Yom Kippur, not Shabbat, not Kashrut, not Pesach, nothing. As hard of a mitzvah as it could be, never does the Torah say, this mitzvah, you should know, it's not Bashamayim, it's not so hard. The only one is the mitzvah of Teshuvah. Hashem said, I want to tell you, I know in your mind, you think that making Teshuvah is hard, because making Teshuvah means change. So automatically you hear the word change, and you're thinking, Change is in Shamayim. How? How? Can I climb to Shamayim? No, I can't change. I'm going to go overseas now. How? I can't do it. It's too hard. That means even the creator of the world recognizes our weakness. That when we speak about change, our mindset automatically is rushing to impossible. I can't, can't do it. So much so, Hashem has to give a whole introduction. I'm going to read a few. Ki ha-mitzvah hazot ha-shenokhi metzavich ha-yom. Lo nifleti mimecha ve-lo rechokai. Lo ba-shamayim hi-lemor mi-ya'ale lano-shamayim. He says, ve-lo me'ever la-yami. All these pesukim, because Hashem knows that the minute we hear about change, of anything, all of a sudden, we start to cringe. We start to be afraid. How? What do you mean? How can I do that? Hashem says it's not so hard. It's an illusion. It's actually beautiful to change. Actually when you change is when you start living. Because if you're not changing in life, that means you're just going with the flow of whoever you were, wherever they put you, and you're just going along. When you change, it shows you took your life back. It shows you actually make decisions. It means you're not just living the status quo of who you are and what's around you and what's expected of you. Take your life back. Make a decision. Decide right, wrong, what should I do? And do it. Change is beautiful. Change is empowering. Change gives you new life. It brings your life back to your own decision making. So in summary, the things that you struggle with most are given to you as your mission statement. If it's the broken relationship, if it's the anger, if it's difficulty with charity, if it's laziness, if it's the lack of desire to learn, whatever it might be. That's your mission statement. 
And if you get past that, you have something called avdi. You have something called siyata dishmaya. Don't write it off. Don't write off your mission statement. It's a mistake. Hashem put you in that position just so you could work yourself out of it. So why does He make it hard for me? If He wants me to do it, why does He make it hard for me? If He wants me to do it, make it easy for me. Why are you making it hard for me? And the answer is, because when you earn something, and you put all your effort into it, you know, if Hashem made you kind, and you're also kind, then a lot of it was done by Him. Because He made, it, made you that way. If Hashem made you calm, and you stayed calm, so a lot of the credit has to do with Him. You get some credit too. But when you're created the opposite of what you're supposed to be, when you were given a situation the opposite of the road to success, now what you do in this area is all yours. It's all your accomplishment. You can call that your life. You can call it your accomplishment. Hashem says, the things that I want you to succeed at, I'm going to make hard for you, so you can do it yourself. Because this is your life mission. That's why the Pasuk says, Pasuk in Yov says, who is able to take from the Tameh, Tahor? Hashem sends the Tameh, the Tameh part of your life, the unattractive part of your life, the unattractive part of your soul, that's Tameh, and from the Tameh, Mi Yiten Tahor. And that's why, by the way, it says, Bimkom Shebaale Teshuva Omdim, where the Baale Teshuva stand, even the greatest Tzaddikim can stand. The Baale Teshuva, a high level. Why? Because they struggled. When you struggle to get somewhere, even if you're equal to the guy next to you, but you're not equal. You're a whole different stratosphere. I want to share with you one more thought on this subject. So far today, we spoke about personal struggles. Each one could write their own book of their own personal struggles. The difficult people in your life, the difficult upbringings of your life, the difficult things that Hashem gave you or didn't give you in your life. Everyone's got their things. Everyone's got their own book. Nobody here can open a book and say, oh, it looks exactly like mine. It's not like that. My book is going to look different than yours and yours. Everyone's got their own book. Their own version, their own type. That's what we spoke about till now. But there's another aspect of disadvantages that we all share. In some way or form, we all share a certain disadvantage together. 
What could it be? What could be in a disadvantage that we all have the same? How could that be? What does that mean? We're all different people. Hazal tell us that every generation, every 70 years, a new star comes to sway the Jewish people. What does that mean? It means that the Yetzirah is constantly renewing himself, as the Gemara says. He's mithadesh, mithadesh. He's always serving a new menu. Why? It's very simple. Because when you're selling sheker, when you're selling falsehood, at some point, people figure you out. You know, if you're selling cameras that don't work, you can get away for a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe two. But at some point, they're gonna figure out, your cameras are junk. So you gotta start selling something else. And as they figure that one out, you'll sell, but if you're selling good items, selling diamonds, good quality diamonds, have to worry. Take your time. Look at it. Anytime you come, it's here. You don't sweet talk. You don't fast talk. You don't got to be a salesman. It's the item. It's your product. The Yetzirah is selling nothingness. But at some point, people catch on. He may get them for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. At some point, this is nonsense. You're not getting anywhere that way. So what does he do? No, mithadesh, another item. How many Jews fell to communism? Millions of Jews fell to communism and their ideals. When it came out communism in Europe, that was like, wow, this is the way to live life. Equality, fairness, everyone's treated the same. Everyone taking care. How many Jews were sucked in by the wave of communism? How many Jews today are falling to communism? Zero. None. It's gone. Nobody, nobody is today being taken by communism. The sheker of communism has showed its face many times over. Every generation has its new wave. Communism, reformism. Look back through history. There's always new, a new wave that came. That tried to grab people along the way. And it's important, you should know, it's important to know what that disadvantage is of that generation. Meaning if you're living in a generation, you better know what the wave is. Because if you're living in a generation and you don't know your wave, you're gonna be swallowed without even realizing it. Imagine today somebody is protecting himself from communism, that his children should not be communists. And he works day and night to make sure the wave of communism should not hit his family. You're wasting your time. That's not the wave today. 
There's a different wave. The wave in Syria 150 years ago was one kind of wave. Today, to work on that wave, you're wasting your time. Nobody's taken by that wave. So if you're not aware of the waves of the times, not only are you at a disadvantage, but you don't even know what it is. At least you know you're cheap. At least you know that you're lazy. At least you know that you're angry. Imagine living in a wave that's coming at you and your family, and you don't even know what it is. So it's important that every generation know what the wave is. What is the wave? What is today's wave? What's the wave of our society today that puts us all equally at a disadvantage? All of us, every single one of us. We're all at a disadvantage. So I don't know this to be a fact. It's my opinion. If you don't like it, you can ignore it. But I believe that the wave of our generation are the chosen heroes of the generation. Who are the chosen heroes? Who are these people? So first of all, before I tell you who the chosen ones are, you have to know that heroes play a very big part of a society. Meaning, you, your children, anybody for that matter, has a certain hero that they look up to. Sometimes consciously, they're aware, that's my hero. Sometimes it's subconscious. You don't even realize it, that you have a hero. And the hero that you choose in your life has very much to do what you're going to become in your life. You could learn books, you could hear speeches, you can go to classes. But ultimately, your heroes are the biggest influence in your life. Heroes are not something new. Society has had heroes since the beginning of time. But something changed in the last 70 years, 50 years perhaps. In my time, for sure, growing up, but much more today, much more today than before. Things changed. Where is the change? You see, heroes were always chosen by the individual. Your grandpa had a hero when he grew up. Your grandma had a hero. Where'd they find these heroes? Well, it usually came from people who they lived with. It could be their father. It could be their mother. It could be their grandma, great-grandma, grandpa. It could be an uncle. It could be a neighbor. It could be a friend. It could be a rabbi. It could be a teacher. But it was someone that they saw day to day. Sometimes they chose good heroes and sometimes they chose bad heroes. But the nice thing is that they chose it. And they chose real people who had real lives. They saw them. They saw them struggle. They saw them go up. They saw them go down. 
They saw them in real life. And they got attracted to something about them. That's the way heroes have operated for the last 5,720 years. But something changed in our society. And that is that heroes are no longer chosen by the person. They're actually chosen by agencies. There's an agency of very smart people that sit around a table who understand the weakness of mankind. Each age and its weakness, each gender and its weakness. And their goal is one thing, is to make money. In order to make money, you gotta sell products. In order to sell products, you have to make heroes who use those products. So they go around the country, or around the world, and they will look for personalities that can look attractive and become the heroes of society. Either based on a talent that they have, or based on their craziness. Sometimes the craziness itself is attractive. It's so wild that people just want to know what they're doing. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's power. Things that people are attracted to. When you hear about a powerful person, you want to hear. Someone wealthy, on their own private jet, going, oh, I want to hear about that. I like that. Someone famous. They look around society and they choose personalities that can become the heroes of your life and the life of your children. And when your children will go to a store, their heroes are already on pictures. If they wanna buy a picture for their room, they have a choice, it's a menu. You could buy that one, this guy, that guy, or that guy. They've already been chosen for you. The two-year-old American boy eating cereal, minding his own business, is already being told on the cereal box who his hero is. When you drive a car on the highway, you're already being told that's your hero. And you have a generation of people, and we're included in those people, that subconsciously or consciously have heroes. We don't know them. We never met them. If we did, we probably wouldn't be so happy. We don't get a real glimpse of their real life. We have no idea what their relationships looks like. They give us a picture every once in a while or a video. And that's all we know about them. What's going on in their marriages? If they get married altogether? Is there a family structure to that place? Are they happy with themselves? Are they living a great... We don't, we, don't, we don't see that. We only get to see what they allow us to see. Or better yet, even they're not smart enough to allow us to see. They have people who tell them what they should be showing. Anything they show is coming from somebody else.
who says, that's an item that people want to see right there. Do it. Oh, you're on a boat somewhere in St. Bart's? That's where you are? Oh. Show it to people who like that. Nice. You're on a vacation somewhere in Italy? I like that. You're on, you go on your own private jet. Ah, oh, people want to see that. They love it. Right there. Get a little, little glimpse of that. Smile for the camera. Quick. Before it goes. The chosen heroes of society. Now you and I both know the reality that some, some of these people are from the lowest element of mankind. They're people who have a tremendous amount of emptiness. They don't have a Shabbat table that I have. They don't even understand what that means. The Simcha, that I have a family, that I have brothers and sisters who love each other and care for each other, that I have a community, that I have a, I have, I have a Torah, I have God. They have no, nothing, zero. The opposite. But I would never know that. Because I don't get shown that. And I grew up as these people being my heroes. And guess what? When these people are your heroes, you start to try to be like them. Whether you know it or not. When you go shopping for clothing, you think about your hero. What does he wear? What does she put on? When you have a party, you think about, what do my heroes do when they party? They teach 16-year-old boys, 17-year-old boys, don't drink, don't smoke. You know how many thousands and thousands of young men are drinking and smoking regardless? Why? Because they're heroes. That's what they do. It doesn't matter what you teach me. It doesn't even matter that it's dangerous. If my heroes do that, that's what I do. That's what it means to party. Where do you vacation? Where do my heroes go? Everything you do in your life, if you can get an example from your hero, that's what you follow. Which puts us all at a huge disadvantage. Because we're all fighting the same struggle. This is the struggle of our times. When there's a struggle in life, we need to rise above the disadvantage. That's Siata Dishmaya. You know one of the greatest Siata Dishmayas in history? I come from Shevet Levi, as some of you do as well. Kohanim Leviim come from Shevet Levi. Who is Shevet Levi? And why are they any more special than a regular Jew? What is it about Shevet Levi that's unique? So really, it was one event in history when the Jewish people were at a disadvantage altogether, just like us now. And Moshe Rabbeinu, this was the time of the Egel. People were all over it, the Egel. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, imagine, imagine millions of people 
getting swept away. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Mi Ladonai Eli. Who is going to rise up against this difficult situation when everybody's being taken away with the wave? Who's going to stand up? Mi Lashem Eli. My great-grandfather went. He was there. He says, I'm coming with you. It's very hard to go against the society around. But that's what it's going to take to get you to where you need to get. There's a calling of Mila Shem Eli in every generation. The story didn't happen once. It happens in every generation. In communist Russia, there was a Mila Shem Eli. Believe me, if we were there at that time, we would be so swept away. Today it looks silly, but that's what happened then. Mila Shem Eli of this generation is get yourself a new role model. Let it be someone that is close to you, that you know. Maybe it's your grandpa. Maybe it's your grandmother. Maybe it's the great-grandpa that you never met, but you heard so much about. Read the books of the great people that brought you to where you are today. Who's your hero? Who do you emulate? I told over a story a few times, but I'll say it again. <coughs> Happened to me this year. I have the privilege, probably the most important part of my day. I get to teach for two hours a day. 10th grade boys. So in the beginning of the year, one of the boys in my class mentioned, it seemed to be a known thing, I guess, amongst the boys, that he owned sneakers, these big, big, wide, long sneakers, that were worn by some big person who I know for a fact is not anyone that you would look up to if you saw him in real life. I have some names to say about him, I'm not gonna say it on camera. And he has his sneakers Proudly in the Aron. Yeah. Like the Aron Kodesh has the, the Luhot, the two Luhot, he has two sneakers. Make sure not to touch them too much because they get, never wash the sweat because you want the sweat to be there, the smelly sneakers. 
So I took notice. At the time, it was early in the year, I didn't feel comfortable mentioning anything about this uh, situation. So I left it alone. But I left it, but I left it in my uh, archives. And May time, a few months ago, about a month and a half ago, we're in a class and this boy asked me a question. He asked me a question of how he feels like he's struggling with something. How is he able to get over this certain struggle that he had? And he asked me in front of the boys. So I said, ah, this is my opportunity. So I said, listen to me. I want to tell you something. Listen good to what I'm telling you. I said, until you take those sneakers that's sitting in your closet and you burn them like you burned the hamets, and then you call your grandfather and you ask him for his shoes to put his shoes in your closet, I said, you're not going to see Siyad Tadishman. I don't know if he was going to kill me. I don't know if he was... I, I don't know. I just told him that. Which is the truth. He calls me that afternoon. He says, Rabbi, mission accomplished. Burnt. I said, well, you're not finished yet. He says, call your grandpa now. Ask him for his shoes. They should be in your closet. I believe that all of us have sneakers that we need to burn. When we make decisions, you know, the way, the way people act today in the streets, the way people dress, it's not even about the laws of modesty. It's mamash, like, who are they following? Who? Who is their Roma? Not their grandma. My grandma, Hazita, she doesn't know anything. My mother, she's a Hazikes. Oh, the guy in Europe. Psh, those are the people. In my closet, oh, I love my grandma. I love my mom. But in my closet, I got somebody else's sneakers. That's what we all do. Unfortunately, we don't even realize the wave is just blowing. It's blowing. We don't even, we don't even know why. Why are we so attracted by this place or by that item or by this way of life? Why? Because you've been sold. You've been sold the hero that you didn't even choose. They chose it for you. And there's a calling called Mila Shem Elai. Mila Shem Elai says to every single one of us, yes, you're at a disadvantage. You're right, you are. We're all at a disadvantage because we're living in this world. But there's a calling. It's called Mila Shem Elai. Every single person needs to look at themselves, find those sneakers, and do Bi'ur Hamet on those sneakers. And find the replacements that come from people who they really 
love and appreciate and admire. Baruch Amen v'amen.